Cool. So Emma Malloy, um, uh, the middle child of John and Betsy Malloy, five kids from uh, Los Angeles, you know, dead center LA. And um, yeah, I'm a film director. Yeah, that's all it was. That's all it was, was a dream. Something special is about to happen. My boy get three years, he get nervous. Yeah, I there can't be, you know, looking like, you know, 21. Uh, you know, keep that 18. You know what I mean? You know that what I mean? 18 feel. Those <laughs> liberties. My son was a very smart kid. He was already writing since elementary. I was initially trying to groom Chris to be a jazz artist because he was so talented. Every summer, Chris would come back from Jamaica. He would be a sponge to just so much more that was outside of our scope. He was like, I got to get us off the streets. I'm just trying to rip the hardest rhymes. A lot of the bad decisions came from wanting to provide. He told me he was working. I believed him. You want to do this, I need you to commit to this. No, you can't do both. He disrespected my house. That wasn't my son. You don't understand me oh, yeah, having to sell drugs on the corner to this. He's the hottest thing smoking right now. Where we at? Where we at, y'all? Where we at? We in Detroit. Biggie blew up overnight. You have no origins for what rap planet this guy came from. Spread love, it's the Brooklyn I was happy that he was making something with his life. Peace and love. They got a gifted talent that saved a lot of people's lives, but his. That is a trailer from the original Netflix documentary, Biggie, I Got a Story to Tell. And this is Factual America. We're brought to you by Alamo Pictures, an Austin and London-based production company making documentaries about America for international audiences. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood. Today we're talking about Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Biggie Smalls, or the notorious B.I.G., the acclaimed rapper who was tragically murdered at the age of just 24 in a drive-by shooting. Uh, talking to us about the notorious B.I.G.'s life and his legacy on hip-hop is Emmett Malloy, the Grammy Award-winning director and producer of Biggie, I Got a Story to Tell. Emmett, welcome to Factual America. Thank you. Great to speak with you, and um, yeah, I, it's been a minute since I talked about this film, so I, I feel it's, I'm, I'm back excited again. Yeah, okay. I'm back. I got a fresh, fresh uh, tank. Okay, great. I mean, how are things with you there in uh, California? Yeah, real good, you know, just kind of, I think like everybody, we're bouncing back a little bit. I got my second vaccine yesterday, so I felt like that was a, you know, weirdly emotional 
And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of feeling like uh, whatever, there's some optimism brewing. Yeah. So I'm certainly a good purveyor of optimism. Yeah, I, I agree. I've, I've had one. I'm waiting for the second dose. So, yeah, uh, good. So you're ahead Congrats. of me, but yeah, starting to feel, my wife had her second one a few days ago. So um, yeah. yeah, who knew we'd be a year and a half ago, we'd all be ty- excited about getting vaccinated. Um, Just insane. Yes. <laughs> so again, the film, a Biggie, I got a story to tell, uh, dropped on Netflix, I think in March. I think it's yeah. uh, it's been doing quite well, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, it's been a hit for them, uh, which just, for me, has been so exciting because you, you yeah. just, not often do all the planets align. And um, this one's just had that um, swirl around it, which has been just so fun to um, have something you work on for so long. Mm-hmm. Get, get eyeballs and get people, you know, talking about it. Well, and I think you've got a great subject, don't you, to, to, uh, to help yes. make that happen. I mean, uh, for someone of my age and grew up in the U.S. and uh, yourself included, uh, maybe it's a bit odd to say, you know, to tell people who uh, Notorious B.I.G. was or whatever. But, yeah. uh, but I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to believe. It's been almost 25 years since... Um, since his tragic death. So maybe, uh, maybe you can give us a synopsis, not of, you know, not just, uh, well, who was he? And then also yeah. what's, the, what's this film about? Well, I think I'll start with what the film about is about, because I think the who is he will just come out of that. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my pitch always, obviously I, w- I was born right about the same time as Christopher Wallace. We're, we're a month apart, both mm. Gemini's. So, you know, certainly couldn't be more in line with, my arc of life and just as far as you know being part of witnessing him but I I wasn't a huge biggie guy I wasn't like I mean I knew all the big songs and everything but you know I I was on the west coast and NWA and and um Dre and Snoop that they were more my flavor but to be honest I was listening to the Grateful Dead you know, like I, that's that's the upbringing I had musically, to be honest, and and punk music. So you know, my only point was I came to this as a bit of an outsider, uh, more as a filmmaker, somebody interested in great stories with obviously iconic people. If if you could ever get those, I'm always in the mood. And and music, I've made a lot of music films, and mm-hmm. are a big part of that tradition of filmmaking. So it, there was a lot of lanes in for me, but my, my goal always when I, when I got, when this project became something where the estate said they were making a film and um, some friends of mine brought it up and said, would you ever be interested in this? And I was like, yeah, of course. So I pitched my idea and my idea was simply, it's like, I don't feel like anybody's ever stopped and focused on the first 20 years of his life. Every film fast forwards through that and really gets to kind of post ready to die really gets to when he was formally uh, fully formed as the notorious big and really quickly to the tupac yeah um saga and that just felt odd to me and that's where i began digging and and then you know that was my idea you know i want to make a film about us that celebrates his life and that got me in the door and got me to uh, a lunch with miss wallace and from there, I was able to get a lot more of the exciting elements I was able to build my film around. 
did the estate approach you? How did that, uh, yeah, did that happen? Um, yeah, it was more of um, the producers on my film. They, they do a lot of documentary films. Um, they had worked on 20 Feet from Stardom and mm -hmm. Searching for Sugarman, to name a few that felt like they, that got my attention. Right. Uh, they, I had a relationship with them, and they began to work out the dynamics of getting the rights and the excitement of the estate. Yeah. Once they got that, then they went to a short run of filmmakers to say, these are the filmmakers we feel would be great fits. Let's hear ideas from all of them. And, and that's what I was able to get. I got in through that door and then was pitching my ideas to Wayne Barrow, the manager, and right. Miss Wallace. And, and then when they were ex got excited about my take and my body of work, I was then brought to meet her and, and sit and chat with her. And that was just a classic experience for me. Mm. And, and, you know, to go show up at her house in New Jersey, the house her son bought for her before he died, the son, the house he was going to live in. Yeah. Um, you know, to go sit with her. I, I kind of feel like she might be the most famous living mother. I can't think of, of, of another mother <laughs> that, that has gained so much, you know, notoriety and, and had such a big presence. So it was fun. We, we went to the Red Lobster. Very nice lunch. Uh, she ordered a Bahama Mama, and we, we got to chatting. And, and certainly, right out of the gates, it was right into her upbringing in Jamaica and how she took her son there every summer of his life. And and that was revelatory to me. I was like, I can't believe this isn't real prominent in every story I've heard about him. And and it was cool because it wasn't just us trying to be like, oh, you know. He went to Jamaica, so that's why his music feels like it was more mm -hmm. just to, it was cool to understand the culture and the household he grew up in and what, what, yeah. who he was and the fabric of who he was. And that's, that's the stuff that started to really be in sync with the pitch, you know, because when you make yeah. a pitch, it's like, you're just pitching stuff. <laughs> and then sometimes they really like it. And then you're like, oh crud like what am i going to do here to what am i going to put on screen you know yeah, so yeah that yeah. was real cool for me for my kind of lofty idea to be met with some great stories mm. well i think i think you raise a good point because she is a bit of she is the star of this film isn't she i mean in a way i mean she's quite yeah. a she is quite a character she is without a doubt i mean she's a great storyteller and she's super animated she's incredibly confident which you've seen mm -hmm. you know you saw leaving jamaica at 16 to land in brooklyn and right. pull it off and then have a kid right away uh you know and have a dad that just split as soon as you know was a was married and in another relationship and was lying to her the whole time mm -hmm. She pulled through that, so her confidence is off the charts. And what's fun now is that she's gotten to, you know, tell these stories a lot, uh, some aspects. So she, there's also a, a confidence in her performance that's just insane to sit and chat with. The best part is, like, her stories, when run against his best friends, they're miles apart. And that's what I started to see as one of the joys of the film was that the mother's take and then what was really going on 
and yeah. that became a great dynamic in our film. Well, there's a, I mean, there's a spoiler alert, I guess, but you know, we we find out that she was throwing away uh, uh, yeah. some of Biggie's drugs that she thought was food that had gone yeah, bad. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, you know? what's what do you? There was so much innocence, you know. Again, she she thought her kid. Again, he was a very smart kid. She talks so much about that, about his talents. And so in the early years, he was an ace. You know, he was, he was the smartest and most charismatic kid in the class. But, you know, he was cooped up. You know, he was, he was looking down on, on Brooklyn and wanting to get out and about. You know, he wanted to be like the kids that got to run around and all they wanted to be is like him. You know, I wish yeah. I had a mom that, took care of me so that 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 became another interesting storyline was just his desire to kind of get out and and be a normal brooklyn kid and um that was fun to play against you know kind of being raised uh by an immigrant mother and um that that was a just a great arc in his story i mean brooklyn obviously plays large in his life and in this film and i think that's uh quite a uh, well main theme and uh, I think it works quite effectively is the I know this isn't going to sound exciting but the use of the maps to show yeah how close everyone was and how small this world was that they all lived in I agree those maps really you know again you after four years of working when you think about the detail and thought you put into every little bell and whistle on the film you appreciate any feedback like ah, I love the maps they, they were so simple and I'm like but it wasn't simple for us to get them right and when we got them right they really were effective storytellers and everybody has asked me through talking about this film you know how'd you come up with it and I'm like I, I mean it was easy like when I interviewed you know the producer he would say I live down two blocks then you yeah. go right you go one block and he would yeah. give you these classic descriptions and it just it laid itself out right for us of like, man, this is crazy. They're all like, at times, one of them lived on top of the other in a project, yeah, you know, style of living. And he would just look out the window and the other dude would look up and he'd be like explaining it the same way. He lived two windows down, then I'd look to the right. And, you know, that just became the classic aspect of our film. And what was cool is that these guys, you know, they're very private. This is a very dear, you know, this is their best friend. And this, this, there's this story still stings to them to this day. So it was a long process to get them to open up to me the way they did. Mm. And um, that was probably the most difficult part of this for me being so, so much of an outsider and coming in on something that had been uh, mined over for 25 years. These people Mm. have been in a million things talking about this. And I bet you two of them turned out the way they hoped they would or, you know, mm. and, and so I went into it with all that sort of, you know, kind of standoffishness. And, um, you know, that's where I do well. I'm a very, whatever, I, I, I tell the truth. <laughs> if I'm going to do something and say I'm going to do it, I'm going to live up to it. And And these are the types of films where I have to get everybody's trust that I, tend to do well with as long as there's like a we can get there at some point if the access is truly there I can usually get it just because I'm I'm you know a good guy like that I'm not I'm not a sensationalist filmmaker I I want to 
I want everybody on my side. If I can, if I'm going to make the yeah. best film about your son and friend, you got to trust me. And if we, right. we can't get there, then it's hopeless. So that was a, that was a process, but a super rewarding payoff in the end because guys like D rock, who, who right. was the other star of the film, that was a really long, mm. that was probably the most complex journey I went on, on this film is to get him to finally, you know, feel like this was the one to share his personal diaries with. And, and that was, uh, will, will be one of the best memories is the, you know, kind of the friendship we built. Mm. Well, that's, the that's a couple. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I won't ask which one's Felix and which one, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, both. uh, yeah, the, both in us. <laughs> the thing is, that's an interesting point because a lot of times the way, if, I'm sure our listeners will know, a lot of times the way these sort of projects might have worked and it's the way I kind of thought might, this might have worked. Someone said, oh, there's this never before seen footage. Let's hang a dock around it, right? Which yeah, can yeah. or cannot work. And often yeah, yeah, it does, you sure. know. Uh, but that's not, it's because you got to know D-Rock and he said, well, by the way, did you know I have all this uh, all this stuff we used to shoot, you know, by, yeah, uh, on tour? It was a little bit of both, you know, in the sense of like, I knew this stuff existed because it was kind of coming up in the first conversations and the management, yeah. Wayne, who was a producer on the film was like, you know, this is, this will be, we got to get him on, on right, our side, right. you know? And so, you know, it was funny, like that one, truthfully as just a classic first story of making a film. I mean, what one thing that I scored on early is my first trip on this film was to Jamaica. I went with Miss Wallace. Those were the, you know, the things that I knew we would be getting. So I went and did that trip right out of the gates and got to sit with his grandmother, meet his uncle. It went so much deeper than I ever thought I could, you know, achieve with that particular trip. So along the way, I posted a picture on my Instagram of me and Wendelin Wallace, his grandmother, and just said, man, what a cool experience. Yeah. We went on a hike together, you know, and it was truthful. I was more just, what a incredible 97-year-old woman. You yeah. know, what do they got in the water here? And, <laughs> and you know, he, when, when, uh, when I got back, we went to Brooklyn. We started to do the first set of interviews in Brooklyn. And, um, D-Rock was going to be at the tail end of those interviews. So, you know, kind of that came the day for it. I'm there, you know, on documentaries of this size, it wasn't a huge budget. So every day of shooting really is important. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I had a hot set. I had a great DP. I had everything. And D-Rock kind of finally shows up at the end of the day. And, um, you know, basically just says to me right out the gates, like, I'm here, but I'm not doing the interview. So I like, okay, okay you know, all right, that's, <laughs> that's crazy, you know, to me, like, dang, what am I, you know, so how do I handle this? And of course, I was always, you know, I'm not going to lose. That's one interview in this journey mm -hmm. that, that, you know, it just, so I just like weirdly sat by like my crew that were like silhouetted in the lights we just turned off. And they were like awkwardly standing there. And we, just proceeded to eat corn nuts and talk for two hours, you know? And mm -hmm. he said, the first thing he said is, man, I, I know you're on the right path because I saw that picture of, of Big's grandma. And I can't believe you took the time to sit grandma down. And it, it mm -hmm. let him know that we were, we were on the path that he probably always felt everybody should be on, but nobody went through with it. 
Mm. And um, suddenly at the end, he kind of applauded me for not pressuring him to do an interview before he was ready for it. Mm. We then got the chance to really get to know each other. And, and then the, the lane was open. We, we built a friendship and we built a trust that, that got us through the whole process. And it was, it was a lot for him to share this stuff. And, and the more I leaned on it as the film went on, the better the film got and the, the more he came to life in our film. And that was mm. kind of always my goal. I guess you, that's a good point. And one I didn't really appreciate, I have to admit when I, when I watched was, um, but, but you're, you're telling their, their story as well, aren't you? Their life, yeah. their childhood, their youth, because it was, they were all inextricably linked with, yeah. with Biggie. And so this is very personal for all them too, isn't it? Absolutely. And you know, it's personal in the ways that I also state is they've been burned a bunch, you know, they've been, yeah part of things where maybe they didn't like the way they were presented or or whatever it is there's been a variety of experiences and a lot of it just like the personal interaction of whoever was doing it um you know maybe didn't rub it them right but yeah it was all there and i needed their stories i needed their faith i needed their um trust to dig deep you know because i i didn't want the story they told already but you know in that film i wanted to kind of focus mm -hmm. on another phase and i think it took him a minute to you know kind of get in the spirit of that especially puff you know luckily i got to do puff last and you know um mm -hmm. and that was somebody that when he got to watch a lot of what i had edited he realized that he was the dude that probably knew him the least in the in <laughs> my cast of characters yeah. and he understood that the film was this personal mm -hmm. testament to him and his friends in this group that he grew up in and the, and the, these blocks in Brooklyn that were you know so interwoven into this story um and so Puff even got that you know he was able to see like oh okay shit this is like really the film about him and I was like yeah that's that's right <laughs> it's, it's not about you it's about yeah. yeah yeah it was I, cool to not have to um you know we use him out of the gates in the film but then he kind of drifts away mm -hmm. and you he comes in naturally when he came into his life and and yeah, that was yeah. that was i think people appreciated that and a quick question for you do you call him p diddy or puff daddy what do you call I, sean i mean i, I called him <laughs> puff but i mean i called him um sean when when i met him because i too was like confused on which memo i had just got in <laughs> and i even know that he's called love you know calls himself love and yeah. I, I think that's the most current name and so i just went with sean just because it was the only I was kind of nervous, you know, I just kind of whatever came out of my mouth, that's what it was. But I know it didn't, um, you know, uh, you know, make them agitated. <laughs> it, we carried on right away. So I felt like whatever I did, at least kept the focus in the moment. <laughs> no, it's funny. I've always, it's, I, I remember, yeah, I was, I've always just wondered, not that I will ever run into to uh, yeah. Sean P. Diddy uh, Combs or whatever he's being called. But uh, yeah, what do you, what do you call him? Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think it changes a lot. So I think he's got to be used to used to it by now. Maybe somebody didn't get the new iteration. He's got to be cool with that. <laughs> exactly. Hey, well, I think uh, maybe we'll give our uh, listeners a bit of an early uh, break here and let our sponsors Great. say a few things. And then we'll be um, right back with uh, Emmett Malloy, director and producer of Biggie. I got a story to tell. You're listening to Factual America. 
Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with director and producer Emmett Malloy. The film is the Netflix original documentary, Biggie. I got a story to tell, dropped in March. And we've been talking about uh, telling the story of uh, Biggie's life with a focus maybe where it hasn't been before, which is more the, uh, I mean, he only lived 24 years, but the first 20 years of his, of it, of his life. Um, so we find out interesting things, don't we? I mean, you, you, you took this trip to Jamaica, you meet his uh, family, uh, uncle who has played a big part in his life, his grandmother, amazing uh, woman. Um, we find out that he had all kinds of influences in his life. Country music was in his life. He's, uh, it's, it's, there's a lot there. Um, maybe much more than people realized. Yeah, well, I thought so. You know, I think that's what got me excited about the movie. I definitely didn't feel there was no new clue on his death or anything mm-hmm. that I was like, you know, had a singular, you know, item that would just light people up, you know. So I had to kind of go back and almost, you know, try to just tell the seminal Biggie movie mm-hmm. for a Netflix audience that most of, maybe heard of them or, you know, know a song or two, but many didn't just probably just know the name and, and probably just know Biggie Tupac, you know? Yeah. So that was yeah. cool that, that I had to kind of be challenged with that. Cause that, um, you know, initially I was going to make this movie, it was called Christopher. I pitched it. That was always going to be the name of it. Christopher, you know, just to mm. kind of lead with the philosophy right. of the film. This is about the real guy, you know, not, yeah. not the stage persona. And, you know, as as you kind of get going and you get into Netflix and their style and the analytics, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll call it Biggie. Got it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go. I, no more. You know, I'm not going to fight for well, this. Well, we I had the... Yeah, you know, I was just going to say we had the uh, one of the directors from Murder Among the Mormons, and uh, yeah. he, they had a different title as well, and uh, Netflix as well. But if you name it Murder Among the Mormons, you're going to get a lot more views and hits. And he said, "Well, they Deal. just basically said, what font do you want it in?'" You know, I mean, it was yeah, like yeah. <laughs> mine was a teeny bit more romantic. Uh, they <laughs> they pandered pandered to to me uh, a bit more. Um, and, uh, you know, in the end, it just made sense to call it, I just wanted to call it Biggie. And, yeah. um, and they seemed to like Colin something as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, again, we, we just, each challenge like that, I just dug in and tried to make it a positive, you know, yeah. like, yeah. okay, if I'm changing it, I, I want to change it. I don't want to change for me. Let me just come up with a bunch of names and yeah, let's yeah. see which one your marketing department feels best, best about. But let me at least keep the process in our court and, and present you guys ones and then you pick and um, that will feel better to me. But we, we, we evolved it from there. And yeah, you know, his life was filled with interesting things. I mean, from his neighbor that played jazz music, you know, played with all the greats, a saxophone player, Donald Harrison. You know, when you sat and talked with him, uh, you know, he started going into these stories about his, you know, him trying to groom him to be a jazz musician, him taking him to the modern art museums to see Picasso and Van Gogh. That blew my mind. I was just like, people are going to trip. 
to know that Biggie <laughs> went to art museums, you know? And again, the, these were things that my goal was to like present him as the artist he was. So people understand that mm. greatness, it, it just doesn't, you know, it, it, it's people work at it. And, and this kid was a curious kid with a tremendous artistic gift. And, you know, when I got those stories out of Donald, I, I, I was doing this before interviewing them. So I started to be like, okay, dude, so if you listen to Max Roach with you, exactly. what song, you know, yeah. like I want to know the song and the detail. And then, then I was able to go into these interviews in a very advanced place where I was really mm. narrowing in on the story I wanted to tell, because sometimes, you know, you just got to go there and, and, and find it all out. And mm. these ones, I, I kind of, because of how many stories have been told, I kind of knew where I didn't want to go. So I yeah. kept trying to find the country music story, you yeah. know, where you were like, where people were going to be like, what? I had no idea he listened to country music. He didn't. His mom did. <laughs> did. Yeah, it exactly. was just on all the time. Yeah. So you take your thing. Yep. Country music's great storytelling. Oh, what? He had it on the house. I didn't say it. You did. You know, like I tried to do that with this film where yeah. people didn't ever try to think we were being like, oh, because of that, this. We had no way to prove it. We could just light up the imagination and and help people understand the soundtrack of, of his life. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, that... Uh... I mean, Donald Harrison, straight out of central casting for a jazz musician, he's, yeah. he's great. And uh, the Max Roach bit was excellent. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I think, I mean, I was, I, you know, I dusted off, of, well, I don't even, I didn't even dust off old CDs, though I do have them. I, I just got yeah. it on Spotify. But, uh, uh, you know, listen to some of the old album, you know, well, uh, Ready to Die, you know, and, and, yeah, it's interesting. It really it kind of gives a little perspective on that too, because there's one, I forget what it's called, but it's it's the one where he uh, it's makes reference. Well, he makes reference to his mother a few times. He's, uh, I think I know where Eminem may have been inspired, but uh, yeah, totally. I think uh, uh, you know it's got a one of these um, reggae sort of um, I forget what that's yeah, called. Dance the, hall. Respect. Yeah, dance hall kind of stuff going yeah. and you've got a woman's voice singing and using the Jamaican slang and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I hadn't really picked up on that before, you know, it's uh yeah. And, that's uh, what we, and, and we tried to do it in the film by even showing like, you know, the, you know, his producer, um, 50 grand and uh, Mr. Right. C when they're talking about mic presence and how the yes. Jamaican, DJs would have this mic presence and they even say, I don't know if he knew it or not, but he, he got it from there. And mm. it's the truth. When you went and sat his uncle Dave down, they went and saw these things. I mean, he straight up said it, we'd sneak out and then yeah. we go over in this little grass knoll and we just trade verses. And, you know, he was a young kid then. And to know that was so cool, you know, it made you go, um, you know, even just for his musical prowess, it was cool, but I couldn't help notice, noticing going around Jamaica, seeing Bob Marley murals everywhere, and then going straight to Brooklyn and seeing Biggie murals everywhere. <laughs> and even that tripped me out. You know, yeah. that too is nothing you can articulate in a film, but it was certainly with my own eyes going, man, these guys kind of impacted their hometown the same way. You know, they're kind of the face of 
Jamaica and Brooklyn now and, and their phrases spread love. You know, it's like they've taken over the bumper sticker market, you know, like for <laughs> those. And, and that's, that's so interesting to me. I just, I was fascinated by some of those things, just the power of their music. That's, uh, that's, that's very interesting. I mean, I think it was, um, uh, you're talking about mic presence. I mean, one thing I've told someone even today, I said, look, if, if, I mean, watch for other reasons, but if for no other reason, watch this, because I think that mic battle he has before he becomes famous in Brooklyn is absolutely amazing. It really is. I mean, that was always the, the one, like every, you know, that was the seminal biggie clip, you know, that, yeah. that everybody has, if you saw it, you'd just be, that'd be the one and only clip you would retain, you know? Yeah. And, and especially too, for us, like, I don't know what it is, but hip hop, the genre of hip hop music, I can't think of a lot of seminal live clips mm. that I've seen. You know, there it's the studio perfection that seems to really shine. Whereas like you go to punk and it's endless, the amount of times mm. your mind's been blown by like a punk moment. And so that's what was so cool about that one. The vibe, the way it is, the way it is on film is so incredible. And then obviously it's before he's fully formed, but the talent's totally there. But the best part is that's another thing where because of Miss Wallace and the access I had, we, we got beyond the little three minute youtube clip that everybody's seen we got yeah. the whole 40 minutes and we were able to craft stories around the, the details of the day and i think people again were excited to know more about this clip that maybe had already lit them up but that clip he just buries the guy and, and yeah. um you know that's and i just love that the whole thing is buddy's like yo I was just excited because I brought him there and, and, <laughs> exactly. and everybody was like, yo, that's your friend. And, uh, yeah. and it was just so cool to hear that because it was like, you know, uh, man, it's like a boxer lighting it up and the thing, you know, you yeah. just like the whole neighborhood's buzzing about it. And that, yeah. that just brings you back to a more innocent uh, phase of life. Yes, in, indeed. I think, uh, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, what comes out of this is he's the most, in some ways, most unlikeliest of rap stars, legends, given Truthfully, where he came from. I mean, you know. yeah, agreed. It's, you know, even just the way he looked, you know, yeah. I mean, at that time, Puff talks about it, it was all about like being handsome and gloss lips and looking like LL Cool J. For yeah. So for this to come, guy to come out and with all this talent, and be a sex symbol <laughs> like it's it's insane <laughs> you know it's just crazy and it all goes back to like his vision you know just the confidence that he gained once he was able to be that and not you know side gig it once he was able to fully be it he got to achieve his dreams and he knew what to do with it and and he did it and then then all those other things come because of your confidence you got that i mean of course girls are gonna you know love you you got you know you're that guy so again that all came but everybody always talks about how he was like a sex symbol and that that's certainly something I picked up more along the way you know because he was yeah. just so charming always but it was fun to hear everybody fascinate on that that was a cool part of this process I mean you, you were talking about Netflix earlier I mean when uh was there ever any 
pressure to say, look, concentrate on uh, more the, um, you know, the East Coast, West Coast story or the, uh, you know, or, or some of these, it could have even been a true crime doc, right? I mean, yeah. if you, if, you know, or maybe there will be one. I, I don't know, probably have yeah, been. Yeah. yeah, well, I know that Nick Broomfield did one um, that kind of gets into that. I think the good thing is, you know, we always pitched it as Christopher and we were like, right real specific in the beginning like yo this is this is what this film has to be about yeah. and we always envision it ending at the release of ready to die they have a platinum party afterwards and we, we kind of thought that was the place to go out in the film you know that's how we always pitched it like that's kind of when you made it to your right. dream level you know before any of the downs of pain come in that was always the way to go out you know um then when you make a film with Netflix, you, you're, you're, you know, I was, I was listening for things that could make this film good for them. And, right. you know, it got made clear that a lot of these people didn't even know much about them. And you kind of got to avoid, they have this philosophy. I don't think it's like a company philosophy, but it was brought up a few times. Like, don't make them go to Wikipedia right after watching, <laughs> you know? And I was like, that's a good way. That's a good roadmap for me to, to follow. You know, if I could just avoid you having to go to Wikipedia and give you enough of it yeah, and yeah. let you understand it. So honestly, it made the back end of our film more satisfying to kind of be able to touch upon the second record. And mm. we just had so many great soundbite moments, the grandmother, everything of just kind of like, you know, the road leading to his tragic death mm. that it was it was it worked out well for us and it was something that i'm i'm very happy they you know recommended that and kept me open to that because it would have been shallow-minded um mm. to do it the way i was kind of being um i thought i had to do it that way once i let go a little it was it was a relief that's interesting do you think it i mean do you think it opens you up to a bit of criticism in the sense that because it almost you go to that extra step it it then people are like well then why didn't you go into more yeah detail I mean, about his death yes. and east coast west coast and all these sort of conflicts I, and things i think um one what what worked for me is that people are sick of that part of this story and and the one thing i can yeah. say clearly now with a you know month and change since the release of our film that everybody picked up on what we were trying to do and mm. and viewed i thought that would get a little more criticism mm. the reviews the feedback focus there i think some people the feedback was like why do another darn biggie movie you know yeah. it was kind of yeah. that negative stuff out of the gates but for the most part the people who watched it and and you know got into the the positive spirit of it i think appreciated us not going there I always thought it was a little bit of our vulnerability when I, you know, mm -hmm. kind of also just even admitting the process. Yeah. It was a bit of an add-on, you know? And so you're always a little unsatisfied with those types of things because you feel, ah, you know, we, I mean, how long did we talk about this pitch mm -hmm. and up to ready to die? And you have all those things. But like I said, in the end, I, I think we made the right call. And I think, um, you know, it feels like people were, uh, enjoying the way we came about making this film. And I, I truly have never released something, you know, this is my biggest film that I've gotten to release just as far as the platform. 
yeah. but also the most positively received, you know, which sometimes it ain't, it's not like that. You know, sometimes yeah. you get your most popular thing and you maybe had to kind of do something to get it there. That was a little out of your wheelhouse. And, and this one, fortunately it was just, I got to do it on a big enough, uh, story that, that, you know, I was able to, um, you know, get the benefit of that and then got to make something that people, you know, enjoyed watching. Okay. Well, I see, um, See, they're back on your shelf, your, your Grammy. Um, I oh, think... yeah, shit. <laughs> that's hilarious. Conspicuously uh, placed. Yeah, um, that's more my style. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my wife, my wife keeps bringing that thing out, and I always hear that story about how um, Merle Haggard, like when, when somebody went to shoot him, he yeah. used the Grammy as his doorstop. Those are my um, icons. Oh, you didn't have to move the camera because I no, mentioned it. But, no, I'm only kidding. I'm yeah, only but, kidding. But, no, but the reason I, I raise it is because you do have this, uh, I, mean, I mean, you've got this long filmology. You've done a lot of uh, mostly music stuff, mm -hmm. uh, great stuff. You've done stuff with the White, White Stripes, Jack White, uh, even the Black Eyed Peas, just to name a a few yeah random uh, throw the black yeah. eyed peas in there huh yeah well yeah. I, I i can get i like anyone else uh, i can yeah. either get on wikipedia or imdb but yeah, um, yeah. yeah but uh, i mean where would you i mean you and as you said you came to this as not necessarily a well not necessarily a big hip-hop uh, or at least east coast hip-hop fan or something but you are of this Roughly, not even just roughly, you are the same age as uh, Christopher Wallace and his his friends, basically. Um, I mean, what is what do you think uh, Biggie's le legacy is, or you know, in terms of what he meant for has meant for hip hop? Yeah, it's hard for me to say. I mean, I think he's kind of an icon of the modern hip hop artist. You know, I do feel like in the film we kind of insinuate this, but it feels like the kind of hip hop mogul grew out of that mm. brand, you know, guys who were real interested in smart businessmen, interested in doing other things and getting into other ventures. I think he's a forefather to that, to Jay-Z, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I look at that, but I mean, you know, I think, uh, you know, as far as like just that mic presence, I think he's just going to stand up to anybody as far mm. as presence on the mic. And since that's such a massive part of that specific genre of music, you know, mm. I just think he's always gonna sit up there. Kind of like when you talk about basketball, you're mm. gonna always have Michael Jordan, LeBron, right. Kareem, you know, right. Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, yep. they're always, the, the, the five are always gonna be there, the 10. Some mm. people will throw a Kobe, in there right. and Iverson, you know, just to kind of mix it up. Mm -hmm. And certainly LeBron's going to get a lot of like looks at number one. Yeah. I think yeah. he's going to sit in that little dance for the rest of our, our run. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah. that's a humongous legacy, you know? And I also think he like put Brooklyn, the spirit of Brooklyn worldwide. You know, I think right now you could run anywhere in the world and, and be like, yo, is Brooklyn in the house? And somebody's going to like throw a biggie line at you. Uh, <laughs> and that, that's, that's a pretty massive legacy. Yeah. And he also gave his nickname uh, to a Supreme Court justice, if you will. Yeah, and, you know, I it's... know. How insane is that? You know, so many of those things were going on. I mean, this guy gets inducted into the Hall of Fame and a 
you know, crummy year as far as COVID and the, and the yeah. presence. But, you know, even in the time I was working on this film, you know, cool things like that happened. Uh, you know, the street he was raised on was named after him. He was inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Amazing. I mean, well, yeah. it's such a crazy legacy. Um, and it just seems like this is a guy that everybody wants to continue to celebrate. And, you know, there's a lot of big artists that were probably hitting record sales at a similar amount. And, you know, we don't talk about them much and their, their, yeah. their songs aren't getting dropped at every, you know, yeah. bar mitzvah, wedding, <laughs> and uh, barbecue uh, for yeah. the rest of time. Yeah. I think <laughs> it, is, it is kind of the funny thing about rock and hip hop and this sort of type of music. It's what's cutting edge is, uh, as you say, 20, 30 years later, yeah. <laughs> showing up at bar mitzvahs. And, yeah, uh, it's insane. <laughs> and, I mean, especially when you now know the record and like what it was born out of and the stories yeah. that it was telling. But that, you know, that just became the genre. And, and that that's, was, you know, oftentimes the, the voice of these great, you know, talents mm. that came from these, you know, crazy neighborhoods just challenging life stories and they were able to you know bring it to life in a cinematic way as he yeah. did you know where it just you feel it and i think that's something we've uh, well we've obviously touched on but i think we haven't gone into detail what the film does which is what brooklyn was like in the 80s and not early 90s and what he was having to to go through you know um um, just what he saw on a daily basis every time he went down to Fulton Street, right? I mean, that's uh, quite, uh, I guess maybe that's something that we too easily forget about what it, what yeah. things were like back then. Um, yeah, it was, it was an intense um, thing. And they, you see the hardest of guys on, in our film talking about how Fulton Street scared them, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and um, you know, what, what, was cool, not even cool, but what, what I tried to do in the film is like, there were several moments um, that we point out in the film that uh, one more day in a certain place, yeah. yeah, he could have been in jail and this whole thing could have been, you yeah. know, uh, amounted to nothing. We'd never even know of this, of Christopher Wallace. And, and there was several of those in his life because again, he wasn't like romancing selling drugs you know that was just you know his crew that's with the the mm -hmm. role models and the guys on the street like looking yeah. the coolest and having all the stuff we're doing and then of course he you know he he wanted to fit in and he wanted to make money and he was a guy he was a sh you know shrewd guy that wanted yeah. to to be a uh kingpin you know yeah. if he was going to do something he wanted to kind of be really good at it and and that was the cool interesting thing about that time is like the hustlers the hip-hop kids they, they rapped about being hustlers you know like they yeah. were kind of aspiring to be hustlers and now i think it's you know not yeah. like that anymore but that no. was a romantic time where you know and we we i love the story we uncovered and got deeper into about his friend Oli and yeah. and his yeah. death and that was something we had to get by on with very little footage just a few photos but you know his best friend was killed you know on a night he should have been with them and his yeah, family's yeah. ties to the drug game were insane and those stories yeah. i had to find a way to get those into the film because i felt 
they would help people understand, um, you know, the, the, the ranks that he was running with. I mean, this was, this was real stuff. You know, I think that's a very good point because I think some of us at the time probably, you know, and it was kind of the nature of rap heard some of these, heard the lyrics and never actually took them maybe sometimes seriously, Mm -hmm. but they were actually not just inspired. They were based on real life in his, you know, in his experience. So, um, and I, I tried to show that in the movie, you know, because I, I mm-hmm. think that's something I kept underplaying as a filmmaker. I'm like, man, we keep talking about how his lyrics were like the everyday struggle, mm-hmm. but I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it in, in how it's echoing our narrative. And, yeah. and that was something that weirdly took a long time for us to get that balance right, where you started to feel the songs and feel that they were, you know, kind of, chapters of his life that he's bringing and there they were embellishments you know obviously you see clearly he loved his mother and had the closest relationship ever but if you listen to the record you'd be whoa gosh you know you think there was a different narrative Mm. but i wanted to bring that storytelling to life and you know i needed crutches like the country music thing to light the fire in the audiences yeah. mind to say like oh country music storytelling storytelling and then then when i put the right song in the right place it started to do a little more and i'm i'm used to that i'm used to trying to make emotional films with like a band playing live music and you yeah. gotta somehow find yeah. it and it's there there's even if it can be a little poetic or whatever but there are ways that you can do it if the if the subject's letting you, and then that's something I'm always on the lookout for. Okay. Well, well, speaking of which, and it's, it's hard to believe, but I think we're coming close to the end of our time together, but I told you uh, I'd have no issue filling your time. <laughs> you didn't, you haven't like just a, filled time. It's, it's like a very disorder. Much... <laughs> I just like I'm quiet. And then I give out these things and I just can't, I can't even let a question happen. Um, the, uh, I mean, what do you what do you have next? What's next on the cards for you? Because another um, more music docs. What what's? Uh, yeah, well, I, I don't know. You know, that's the million dollar question right now, and and um, I'm just working hard on trying to find that next thing. You know, I did a movie, a narrative film with Jennifer Gardner called The Tribes of Palos Verdes. Prior to this, mm. I really enjoyed the depth of that project and kind of getting into it with some great actors. So I'm I'm both looking at documentary films and um with just you know um kind of dusting off some old ideas and and also mm. connecting with a couple personalities um living personalities you yeah. know cuz I I think I'd like to do one more in the moment next you know that's the one thing I'd say after doing a long-winded project like this with an estate and kind of going through the act of kind of dealing with mostly archival and speaking about it. Mm. I kind of realized the next one, I'd love it to be, you know, maybe somebody on their last go around somebody that I could Mm. do something that felt more in the moment. That's, that's the one thing I'd say I'd like to pivot on. Um, But you never know. I'd, I'd be game. I finished a five hour series on the dream team, the basketball team. Yeah. 92 Olympic basketball team that I did with the, famous sports writer jack mccallum the sports illustrated writer and that that was real cool and um that's something i i just had a blast you know got getting to talk to the people i got to on that film yeah so 
And where 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 could someone see that? Because that's uh, that's that's uh, done through Paramount, and it's trying to find you know home. it's um yeah trying to find where it will come out around these Olympics. So I I have um you know just waiting to kind of see where they want to position it, but. You never know with these things. There's so many platforms. <laughs> Yet doing a project with the NBA, Michael Jordan, um, all these humongous personalities like this, it's just challenging. And at the end, you surrender and just like this one, just hope it finds a good place in the end and people get to see it because you, you really put a lot of work into them. But both of these have been, you know, that one and this, I just was having so much fun talking to everybody. Yeah. Um, so I loved aspects of it. but they they both have been very long-winded you know so um they wear you out okay well that's uh so you need a you just need a change of pace for uh <laughs> until yeah. you tackle one of those again but uh, yeah maybe maybe so you know i just more like doing a movie doing kind of a darker narrative excited me you know yeah. it's fun to fun to make it all up and, and lean on your instincts of reality and what you can do to make the mm. thing feel very genuine but it was cool. I, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I want a great script. That's the one thing I learned, mm. you know, not that script was cool. It had a lot of interest, but we, I felt like we were always improving the script while we were working on it. And, mm. um, you know, I just know there's scripts out there that are kind of like, you know, ready to roll. And I, I'm, I'd be excited to get, get one of those and, um, you know, kind of lift my, 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 um, the you know just kind of going to places i didn't see myself going as a filmmaker because i think emotionally when you get a bit older you're just cool with that you're you're not fighting things <laughs> yeah, you're you're yeah, willing to surrender yeah. if you feel trust in it and i'm i'm good with that okay well for our, for our aspiring writers out there emmett malloy's yeah, looking for a great script up. so uh yeah, just uh totally. <laughs> well, well we will have your links in the show notes so they'll be able to thank figure out how to picking, get a hold of you your instagram account or however that that works uh, thank you hey. for picking up on that <laughs> hey yeah uh, well um and after we finish recording i might have a question or two for you as well uh but uh, not that i'm an aspiring writer but uh <laughs> So I uh, just wanted to say thank you again to uh, Emmett Malloy, uh, the director and producer of Biggie. I got a story to tell, streaming on Netflix, still doing quite well. Highly recommend that you, you check it out. Uh, if you have any questions regarding how you can become a documentary director and producer like Emmett Malloy or other roles in the industry, I recommend you check out careersinfilm.com to learn more about careers in the film industry. I want to give a shout out to our engineer, Freddie Besbrode, and the rest of the team at This Is Distorted Studios in Leeds, England. A big thanks to Nevena Paunovic, our podcast manager at Almo Pictures, who ensures we continue getting such great guests like Emmett onto the show. And finally, a big thanks to our listeners. As always, we love to hear from you, so please keep sending us feedback and episode ideas, whether it is on YouTube, social media, or directly by email. And please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Almo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures. 
Be the first to hear about new productions, festivals showing our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.